All right. I'm going to have you turn this morning in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. And some of you may be aware of this, some of you may not be aware, but this past year I worked on another master's degree and I wrote a thesis. And my thesis was really on the book of Proverbs. And I've been saying that I'm going to preach from this book. Well, I'm going to start today. And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, a very practical book that's got a lot of wisdom in it. Philip Yancey uh, wrote a book years ago, left a kind of an indelible imprint on my own soul. The book was entitled Disappointment with God. How many people do you think are kind of disappointed with God? I think there's a lot of people out there. I think they've blamed God for a lot of things. And so Yancey, in writing his book, shares his own personal struggle and how he came to faith in Christ. Now you have to understand he grew up in a Christian home. So this is, this is something I think you should all pay attention to. A lot of young people growing up in Christian homes struggle and have doubts in their mind. I think that's all normal. That's all part of you developing a personal faith in God. It's something that you have to acquire. And so he was struggling with all this and he even went to Bible college. Can you imagine? And having all of these struggles. I mean, he thought of himself as an agnostic. So he had two assignments, two Christian service responsibilities that he struggled with immensely. You can understand why if you're not really trusting God. Number one was to share his faith with university across the street at the nearby campus, which he never did. He always kind of found a way out of that. And the other, which was harder to get out of, was to pray with four other young men. And then how they did is they broke and they each took their turn praying and then it got awkward because Philip Yancey didn't pray. And uh, finally, they would eventually go to their separate dorms. Well, then one night as they were gathered for this moment of prayer, Philip made this tentative step towards God. This is what he said. God, here we are, supposed to be concerned about those 10,000 students who attend the University of South Carolina who are going to hell. Well, you know, that I don't care if they go to hell. As a matter of fact, if there is a hell. Now, why was he praying like this? Because Yancey was kind of proud of the fact that he was an agnostic. He was kind of shocking these young people around him. But then for some reason, he kept praying, and he said he started talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then it happened in the middle of my prayer, just as I was describing how little I cared for the people that were supposed to be those that we were assigned to show compassion towards, I saw the story in a new light. I had been visualizing the scene as I spoke, an old-fashioned-looking Samaritan dressed in robes and a turban, bending over a dirty, blood-crusted form in a ditch. But suddenly, in the internal screen of my brain, those two figures changed. The kindly Samaritan took on the face of Jesus, and the Jewish person, the pitiable victim of a highway robbery, took on another face. And I recognize it as my own. In a flash, I saw Jesus reaching down with a moistened rag to cleanse my wounds and staunch the flow of blood. And as he bent over, I saw myself, that wounded robbery victim, open my eyes, purse my lips, and as if watching in slow motion, I saw myself spitting at him full in the face. I saw that all who did not believe in visions or biblical parables or even in Jesus. It stunned me abruptly. I stopped praying, got up, and I left the room. All that evening, I thought about what had happened. It wasn't exactly a vision, more like a daydream parable with a moral twist yet I could not put it away from me. What did it mean? Was it genuine? I wasn't sure, but I knew that my cockiness had been shattered. On that campus, I had always found security in the fact that I was agnostic. No longer. I caught a new glimpse of myself. 
And then he says, perhaps in all of my self-assured and mocking skepticism, I was the neediest one of all. And since that February night, I've been on a slow and steady pilgrimage to reclaim what I once rejected as religious nonsense. I received eyes that opened up belief in the unseen world. That's very powerful. In other words, what he was saying is something began to happen. You see, Yancey's mockery of faith was actually seen for what it was, spitting in God's face. Grace despised, compassion rejected. Yet this vision of love brought brokenness and eventually a full surrender to Christ. What started in unbelief possibly to shock some of his classmates ended up with a stunned young person. He went from contempt to commitment. And it's a journey that we have to make. The key to knowing, however, starts with a commitment on our part, no matter how tentative. You see, the key to learning is trying. The key to learning is making this commitment. The greatest need in our world today is not more information. We have all kinds of information. What we need is to know what to do with the information. How many go, that's a big step. And then what we need is wisdom, not just knowledge. So we are basking with all kinds of information today, but yet we're living in a time where we seem to be depleted with the idea that there's even wisdom, what to do, how to handle the problems that we're experiencing in life. Wisdom is knowing what to do and how to apply that knowledge to life. How many would say it's great? I, I don't want to just, I want to know what to do and how to go about doing it. I want to make good choices in life. I want to make wise choices. Ernest Lucas defines wisdom from the book of Proverbs as always refers to the ability to cope with life in the best way. How many say, I want to cope with life in the best way? I, I, you know, I want to avoid making a lot of stupid decisions. Anybody else got their hands up? I want to avoid making a lot of stupid decisions that later on I'm going to regret that I did those things. Anybody else? How many else say, Pastor, I'm with you on that? I, I want to walk in wisdom. I want to do the right thing. Hebrew wisdom, as reflected in Proverbs, is a moral ethic or a judgment regarding what is the right behavior in a given context. Many would always like to do the right thing. Anybody here like to say, I just want to walk in that sweet spot that I'm just doing the right thing continuously in my life. A person following other ethical systems may not be necessarily considered wise by the standards set forth in Proverbs. Now, let me just re reflect and say this, that you know there was a lot of wisdom in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, some of the Proverbs were actually taken from the Egyptians. So it wasn't that people in other contexts didn't have wisdom per se. They had a form of wisdom. They had an understanding. Well, let me say it this way. They had a, maybe a good ethical system. As a matter of fact, I would even argue, and I'm going to argue later, that great civilizations are built usually on some healthy ethical systems. The problem is most of them come cratering down when they abandon those ethical systems. But the proverbial understanding of wisdom, in other words, what Proverbs teaches that wisdom is, is acting in obedience to God's will. That's true wisdom, which was primarily revealed in Torah or the, the law, the word of God. That's where we find the wisdom of God. So how do you go about getting this wisdom? How do you take what we know and put it into practice? Well, the key to unlocking wisdom is found in a concept that as a society we've mostly rejected. 
So I'm going to talk about the foundation of wisdom. That's the title of my message today. And I'm basically saying it's found in one word, commitment. Commitment. That's, that's a word we don't even want to talk about today. Now think about it. It all begins with the commitment to the right person. See, Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we're going to begin in wisdom, we have to make a commitment to the one who is wisdom. Are we following this? That's perfect, because that's where it starts. However, this commitment is not just a one-time experience. You know, a lot of Christians go, yeah, I gave my life to Christ, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I have discovered, I've been a Christian now 44 years. I've had to make many commitments to Christ. I've discovered it's not just I make a commitment once in a while to Christ. What I'm learning is I am daily making a commitment to Christ. You see the difference you know, I come to church on a Sunday. Sometimes, you know, you've made a commitment and you say, Pastor, you're always asking us to make a commitment. I'm getting you in the habit. It should be a daily thing. I'm saying, Lord, I'm daily making this commitment to you. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to grow in you. So, success or growing Christians are always making commitments to God as well as to one another. Do you know successful marriages are constantly making commitments to each other as partners keep growing and changing. That's the secret of a long marriage. I've been married now almost 41 years. The only way to keep doing it is to renew your commitment. It's a, I'm saying, I'm committed to this girl. I'm, you know, I'm thankful for Patty. I, I, you know, I'm making this commitment to this one person. It's not a one-time thing I did over 40 years ago. No, I'm constantly making this commitment in my heart and mind, and that's so important. And so we find in Proverbs chapters 1, uh, verses 2 to 6, that's, or 1 to 7, that's what we're going to look at today, the promise is that it will take to heart the instructions given, we're going to gain wisdom. So how many are going to journey with me now in the weeks and months to come as we're going to look at how we're going to acquire wisdom? Because we're going to find out wisdom is an important thing. It's extremely important. So I want to take a look at... Uh, how wisdom will enrich our lives. So where do we begin? Well, three reasons why we need to commit to wisdom. First of all, we need to understand the nature of it. What is wisdom? In Proverbs chapters 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. The New American Standard Version says that the purpose of Solomon's Proverbs were to know wisdom and instruction. Now, the Hebrew concept of knowledge is not intellectual information. You know, I think we're great at gathering information. Some of us here are amazing storehouses of trivia. Man, we just collect it, right? We got all this information, and if we have a problem now, we can always go to Wikipedia, or we go to Siri, or you know what I'm saying? We're just, we, got, we have access to so much information, but that doesn't necessarily make us wise, it just means we have access to information. Now, you know, it's good that we can access information, but what makes one wise? That's the real issue, you know. And so the biblical view is that knowledge or experience only comes after commitment. And we already pointed that out. The fear of the Lord is the foundation or beginning of wisdom. So we have to commit to God, and then we start securing wisdom. 
So it's only as we commit ourselves to the Lord that we begin to understand and experience it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Now, how many think that the Bible is really enticing us or challenging us to be wise? How many see that? It's saying everything, if you're going to do anything in life, you want to be wise. You want to get wisdom. But it's biblical wisdom. It's not, you know, an earthly wisdom. There's a wisdom that's earthly. James talks about it. But it's devilish. It's destructive. It's sneaky. It's underhanded. There's that kind of a wisdom. No, we're talking about God's kind of wisdom. It's pure, gentle. It's, it's got all these beautiful components to it, and it produces amazing results. Okay. Jesus said the very same concept. You know, Jesus says it this way in John 7, 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So what is he saying? Try me, you'll find out it's true. You've got to commit yourself to me, and then you'll discover the reality of it. Do you know, Hebrews says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it, you'll like it. Right? Try him, and you're going to find out, wow, what was I was missing so much. What took me so long to get here? You know what I'm saying? That's the truth. You'll discover that. You know, in our concept today, you know, we're so afraid of committing. You know why? We're, we're fearful. We lack trust in people. Isn't that true? How many here could say, I have trust issues? Some of you are being honest. I got trust issues. Okay, that's true. That's, I, I think it's important to understand. That's why people, you know, I, I don't want to commit to somebody, get married to them. I'd rather just move in with them because I got trust issues. I'm afraid. That's what's going on. I don't know if I can make this commitment. And what I'm saying to you is that's true security comes when you make commitments. True success comes when you make these commitments. Now, some people have committed to the wrong things, and that's why they've been burnt, and that's why they're not so trusting. But if you make a commitment to that which is true, good, holy, pure, you're not going to be disappointed. God's not going to disappoint you, folks. There may be challenging moments. I talked about that last week. But you're going to grow like you never have before. You know, Dr. Walke, who's written an amazing commentary in Proverbs, one of the best commentaries. I would say the best commentary in Proverbs. Alva, wouldn't you agree with me? She came to me, Pastor, what's the best commentary in Proverbs? And so she bought it. She's reading it. Dr. Walke, I had the privilege of having him as an instructor. And he said something in a lecture that I've that I've never forgotten. It was very powerful. He just basically said, when you're committed to nothing, he says, you are overcome by everything. Western civilization is being destroyed by a lack of commitment. You guys can think about that one. But it is the truth. Our society is fragmenting. We're committed to very little. Selfishness abounds. If you were to study the rise and fall of civilizations, and I love history, and I, I've delved into all this stuff, you'll find out that civilizations are built on commitment to certain ethical standards and later are destroyed by a lack of commitment to those standards. I said that earlier. You know a society is waning when self-indulgence is rising. That's when you know you're on the downslope. And I think, you know, 
See, I, I grew up in a different generation. You know, I, I even saw the generation before me. It was a sacrificial generation. Today, we live in an entitled generation. You know, people are saying today, what do I get out of this? The generation before said, what can I give to this? They were called one of the greatest generations. We're going to be noted as one of the poorest generations. They had very little. We have very much. But in reality, they, they gave us what we had. What are we leaving our children? Very little. It's very interesting. Commitment. How powerful is it? Well, what is wisdom? The Hebrew word is chokmah, which means skill. It's, it, you know, there's different ideas of skill. You know, Proverbs tells us this in chapter 30, verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants. Do you know ants are smart? They're wise. Why? Because they store up their food in the summer. Boy, are they ever busy right now. But you know what? Come wintertime, you won't see them. Not in Alberta, you won't. It's a little too nippy for them, right? Verse 26, conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with a hand, yet it's found in king's palaces. Okay. So ants basically have a basic skill to prepare for the future. They know there's a time to work and a time to store up, and they use the opportunities of the moment to prepare for the future. How many think that's wisdom? You know, a lot of us, we're living in the moment. We don't think about tomorrow. Now, let me just say, Jesus says don't be anxious about tomorrow, but it's not wrong to prepare for tomorrow. Do you see the difference? You'll, you know, I've discovered one thing. Anxiety's lesson when you prepare for what you're going to experience. Do you know why people are really nervous about taking a test? A lot of times they just didn't study. They didn't prepare well. If you study for the test, the anxiety levels will diminish. There'll still be a level of anxiety to do well. That's normal. But you know when people have extremely high levels of anxiety? If you study what they've done ahead of time, they've done very little. That's why when the day shows up, now they're not ready for it. Their anxieties are high. Okay? I could go on and talk about this in every arena of life. If you prepare for things and you set things aside, when the day comes, you'll be prepared. You'll have less anxiety. I think one of these areas we can apply this principle to is storing up the word of God in our hearts. Do you know what happens when you are a daily Bible reader? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Number one, it's going to affect your purity in your life. You'll sin less because you'll know more. And you'll say, I'm going to avoid this. Number two, this is the part I really like. When you are, uh, you know, basically admonishing, we're admonished to store up God's word so that in the day of difficulty, we'll have the wisdom or instinctual skill to meet the crisis. Do you know what I find happens in my own personal life? I've been taking in the Bible at high rates for a long time. And a lot of times, I just respond to things, in, it seems like instinctively. But it's instinctively because I've been pouring this stuff in my head. And so what pops out? You've been feeding something, it pops out. How many would be, wouldn't it be great if you just keep feeding yourself the word of God and all of a sudden a crisis hits and boop, I go, I didn't even realize I knew that. Or boop, hey, I'm handling this crisis in a way I never thought I could. I didn't think I was strong enough to deal with this. But because I was feeding myself the right stuff, I now have the 
the emotional, spiritual resources to handle the moment the crisis came. That's why I'm saying to you, the challenges in life really are, are, they reveal what we've actually put into our lives. That's the tragedy. So we need to be putting good stuff in. Conies or rock badgers are utterly defenseless. I've seen these little critters. They're kind of cute, you know. They're in Israel, and they always hide in the rocks. And I've seen them hiding in the rocks. And why did they do that? Because the rock is their shelter. And, you know, I can take the psalmist that says, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I need a friend, where do I turn? I go to the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. In other words, my shelter is in Christ. So I'm like a rock badger. It's instinctual. I go to that place to find help in that difficulty. Not only is wisdom described as an instinctual skill, but it's also uh, described as a technical skill. You see, it says here in Exodus 28, verse 3, tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such manners that they make garments for Aaron. So, you know, a lot of times people go, well, I'm not that, you know, I'm not book smart. Yeah, but you got wisdom in another area, folks. You may have the ability to work with your hands and do some amazing things. That's, that's wisdom. The wisdom to be able to do things. How many know it doesn't take a lot of wisdom to tear things apart? But it takes a lot of wisdom to build things correctly. That takes wisdom. And that's what he's talking about here. There's also uh, skilled in the administrative and judicial ability. This is the thing that Solomon prayed for. He said, God, I'm a young person. What do I know about ruling your people properly? His prayer. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, how many are seeing in this? This is very powerful to me. If you cannot distinguish between what God says is right and what God says is wrong, you will be a poor leader. And I'm telling you right now, we have a lot of leaders today in our nation who are unable to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. That's problematic. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, and God gave him that kind of wisdom, right? Do you know one of the reasons why Jesus was so successful in dealing with his critics and adversaries was that he was filled with wisdom. Do you know that? They couldn't trip him up. He had wisdom because he knew what God wanted and what God didn't want. And even though they tried in every which way, and these guys were religious people, they studied Torah, but you know what they were standing in front of? They were standing in front of the living word. And so their understanding of Torah was wrong. And Jesus was correcting their misapplication of the word of God. And sometimes as Christians, we can misapply the word of God to our heart, to harm and to the harm of others. So we need to learn how to distinguish or to interpret rightly dividing the word of truth. How important is that? Actually, if you, if you struggle with that, I'm teaching a class in the fall on how to understand the Bible, how to literally interpret it properly. How many think that might be important? I've seen a lot of poor interpretation and it brings a lot of havoc in people's lives. And then there's the ability, wisdom is also so social skills. We now call it EQ. You know, we've finally picked up on God's understanding of wisdom. In other words, emotional quotient. In other words, we're, we're learning that, you know, you can have a high IQ, but you can have a low EQ. You can be really intelligent in your mind, but you have poor social skills and that is not wisdom. 
Wisdom also has an ability to relate to people in a healthy way. And when I read Proverbs, it's, there's so much in Proverbs that will give you insight in how to relate to one another. How important is that? When you don't know the fundamental principles to life, it leads to embarrassment and loss. James Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, says concerning wisdom. Wisdom is not knowing and understanding what God is doing, for this is the ultimate expression of presumption. You know, we can't know sometimes what God is doing. How many have ever said, I have no idea what God's doing? Have you ever, in your own life, you're going, I don't get what's going on here. I wouldn't be doing it this way. Why isn't God doing this? Why is he allowing this to happen in my life? What is that telling you? You're not God. Yeah, but it seems like this isn't working out, but God says all things work for good. Oh. He goes, rather wisdom realizes that God is all wise and his ways are past finding out. Wisdom then consists in choosing the best means to the best ends. What does that mean? What are you saying there, Pastor? What's Packer talking about here? I'm convinced that the real tests in life are not you know, trying to get to the right ends. I think most people are trying to do the right thing. The problem is so often we use the wrong means to do it. You see, Peter comes up to Jesus. He hears Jesus telling him, Peter, I'm gonna have to go to the cross. And Peter goes, not so, Lord. You don't have to suffer. How many of us in this room, we almost shudder when we think of suffering? Come on, let's all be honest. We don't like suffering. How many? I got my hand up. Anybody else? We don't like suffering. And Jesus goes, the way to the redemption of humanity is through suffering. I'm gonna go to the cross. Peter goes, no, you'll never have to go to the cross. See, Peter goes, there's got to be another way to do it. There's got to be another means to the right ends. Jesus goes, get thee behind me, Satan. This is the right means to get to the right ends. I, I thought about this. If you and I get on a road, we better know where that road is going. Because it has a destination. That's why Jesus, last week I was talking about the roads. Remember that? There's only two roads and they lead to certain destinations. So we better have the right means to get to the right end. And a lot of people excuse bad behavior because they're saying, I'm justifying the way I'm going about it because I know it's bringing about the right ends. Listen, if you don't do the right means, you never get to the right ends. And that's so important. He continues to point out regarding the nature of wisdom. This is J.I. Packer. It is expressed in trusting God when we don't comprehend what is happening in our lives. And then he goes into Ecclesiastes. How many know that's an interesting book? I was tempted to preach through that book. I will get there one day, Lord willing. To show the futility in trying to find meaning to life apart from God. The intent of the writer is to show that the purpose of life is to fear God and keep his commands. Read the book clearly. That's what the finally concludes. We're to, in other words, I'm going to bring it down. The key to the wisdom is learning to trust and obey God. That's it. All you got to do is write down. All I got to do is trust him and obey him. If you got that right, you'll get it right. That's why the songwriter said, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. He goes on to say here, we are to reverence him, worship him, be humble before him, never say more than we mean, keeping our promises to him, remembering that God will someday take account of us, so we must avoid, even in secret, things of which we will be ashamed of when they come to light at Christ's judgment seat. Leave to God its issues. Let him measure its ultimate worth. Your part is to use all the good sense and enterprise at your command in exploiting the opportunities that lie before you. 
He's basically trying to summarize the book of Ecclesiastes and the wisdom it's offering. He's just basically saying, enjoy the good life God's giving you. Don't get all anxious and upset about things and just do what God asks you to do. Don't try to figure it all out. You're not going to be able to. Life has a lot of mystery to it. You know, sometimes we get all upset. I've done so much work here, God, and I'm not getting the outcome I want. Anybody have that experience in life? Say, I see my hand. How come I'm always the one that has all these experiences? You know, failure, humbled, you know. Yeah, it's just, it seems to be like that, huh? Let me move on to the value of wisdom. What is it that wisdom provides or promises to its recipients? Why should we make the effort to be wise? That's answering the question. Why should I? Who will benefit from this pursuit? Well, first of all, he uses different synonyms to describe the effects of wisdom in a person's life. First of all, it will teach us discipline. How many think discipline's a good thing? I'm gonna be a disciplined person. I don't think you can succeed in life unless you have some discipline. It has been said that there's not a man or woman, Michael Green says that, says this, alive who could not retire comfortably in their old age if they could sell their experience for what it cost them. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Whoa! Man, I could tell you a lot of stuff what not to do, right? And it sure cost me a lot to learn these things. Wow. How about understanding words of insight? Proverbs, Derek Kidner says, introduces the reader to a style of teaching that provokes his thought, gets under his skin by thrusts of wit, paradox, and common sense, and teasing symbolism in preference to the preacher's tactics of a frontal assault. So he's basically describing, that's that's what the Proverbs start to do. Proverbs, it's really, they're interesting. And you've got to understand them correctly. A lot of times we just think that they're promises or we take them at face value. No, it's learning to use the right proverb in the right place at the right time. And we're going to talk about that. That's all interpreting them correctly. It's the concept of knowing right from wrong. Does anybody think that might be important today? I'm going to tell you what's going on today. We're confused. The culture's confused. Anybody, how many agree with me? The culture's totally confused. We don't know anymore what is right and what is wrong. As a matter of fact, the culture as a whole now is telling us everything we thought was right is now wrong, and everything we once thought was wrong is now right. How confusing to people. We're living in a confused culture. And then what we do is we come to church after listening to the culture all week long, and we're going, I don't agree with you, Pastor. I don't agree with the Bible. Well, I'm going, well, why don't you agree with it? Well, because I'm listening to culture. I'm going, yeah, and where does that take them? Look at the fruit, folks. It's not good. So I think what the Bible's designed to do is make you and I look at it. This is the plumb line, and it's evaluating culture in light of what God says is true, what God says is right. That's what we need to understand. Another reason to study Proverbs is it uh, it acquires this discipline and prudent life. Wisdom helps a person do what is right, just, and fair. Wisdom knows what course of action to take in a given situation. How many think that's important? What should I do in this particular situation? God, give me wisdom. That's what James says, pray for wisdom. Proverbs is going to teach us some of those things. Isn't it interesting? Abigail was married to an idiot. His name was Nabal. I, actually, I can say that because his name meant fool. That's not a good name, right? And believe me, he lived up to his name. You know, he's a rich guy, had everything going for him, and uh, 
you know, and so David and his men were protecting his huge flocks. And so David, in, in, in an understanding of the ancient world, says, hey, listen, my men and I are trying to have some, you know, celebration here. Can we have a few sheep? We've never taken one. We're asking permission. Would you be gracious to us? Why should I help David, he says. He got really snarky. So David now has 600 armed men. This is not a person that you want to tick off. How many think, Nabal, you're an idiot. But fortunately, he's married to a wise woman. When she found out what her husband said to David, she jumps on the donkey with a bunch of food and races over there and goes, don't listen to my husband. His name is Nabal. <laughs> Which should tell you everything. <laughs> okay? And the Bible says, he said, thank God you came down here because I was so angry at him. I was just going to destroy him. And uh, you prevented me from acting foolishly. Isn't that, she's a wise lady, right? Well, you know, the rest of the story, Nabal dies, God sends, you know, he, when she tells him the next day what had happened, he had a stroke because he had been drunk when he did it and he, he died of fear. And, and he just, and eventually David marries her, the widow of Nabal, because she saw the wisdom that she had. The value of wisdom that it keeps one from the wrong uh, associations. How many think this might be important? Wisdom keeps us from hanging with the people who are destroying their lives. And why is that important? Because they're going to influence us. Proverbs says, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes I go, if I could just become, you know, I'd love to be the young adults pastor. Let somebody else run the church and have all the headaches. I'll just work with the young adults. I would be teaching them this book. Look at chapter two. It says, don't hang out with the wrong kids. The gang, they're saying, hey, let's go do this and go do that. No, listen to your, the words of your mom and dad. They're smarter than you or they got experience. Our culture is so confused. We're elevating youth to such a high point and we're going, these old people know nothing. Hey, these old people were young people at one time. These old people did a bunch of stupid things as young people and they're telling you, don't do that. You'll suffer for it. Come on now. It'll save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Oh. You know, when people are doing the wrong thing, they can talk you into things. Who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. I don't know. I was reading in my devotions today in the book of Ezekiel. God was really grieved with Israel. She had violated her covenant. And I, I just wrote in my journal, Lord, help us to be covenant keepers. Lord, help us to be people of our word. If we say something, let's live by it. Yeah, but sometimes we find out later it's costing me something. I said, yeah, so what? We said it. Stick to it. You know? How many knew the generation before us, they were people of their word? They didn't even need a contract. If they said they would do it, they'd do it. We're living in a generation today, you can write a contract and it still doesn't mean anything. They go to court and they get out of it. It's the truth. What's going on here, folks? Isn't that sad? Are we catching on? There's something wrong here. There's a lack of wisdom, you know? Finally, the writer, the third reason why we need to commit to wisdom is it can be acquired. You know, God can give it. It's not only a gift, but something that we can develop. It is a gift and can be developed. I want you to see that. So how do you become wise? How, does, how do you receive this wisdom, the skill that will help us live life? Well, the first one is we need to get wisdom. How do we get wisdom? By getting to know God. That's the beginning point. We commit to God. We sing, okay, God, I'm going to respect what you have to say even when I don't agree with you. 
You just may be smarter than me. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, we act like that because we're going, well, why would I do the, what the Bible says? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going, good luck with that. How's that going to work for you? You think you're smarter than God? He kind of laid something down here. Maybe we should do what he says. Just a thought. <laughs> oh, not until we become humble and teachable, standing in the awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, which means that God's in control of everything, acknowledging our littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turn upside down can divine wisdom actually become ours. See, that's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Well, I've got it all figured out, God. Yeah, but you're a human being. Here's the perfect person over here telling us that's not going to work. How many have ever tried something and somebody's very experienced or looking at you like, what are you doing? You know? You go, well, I'm doing this. That's not how you're going to get that done. Isn't that kind of like God saying, hey, I got a better way of doing this, and it's not as painful? Just pointing that out to you. David Hubbard writes, fear is best understood here as reverential. Uh, oh. oh, these are all the texts. Let me read them. I think these are good. Turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for her as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How many have ever read about people who are searching for gold? You ever heard of gold lust? They lose everything just to pursue gold. I mean, it's crazy. He's saying, man, you need to pursue God like that. Put God above everything else. That's what he's telling us. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Okay. David Hubbard says this. Oh. oh I'm getting there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm seeing it, but I don't, it's not what I want to say. <laughs> It means I've, I've messed up with my slides, is what it's telling you. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is best understood as reverential obedience. Although it includes worship, it does not end there. It radiates from our adoration and devotion uh, to our everyday conduct that sees each moment as the Lord's time. Do you know, I used to, how many have ever been like this? And I'll, I want to share this thought with you. You feel like your day has been interrupted. And you have all these interruptions happening and you're getting frustrated. Anybody have that experience before? Okay, let me ask you a question. Who says they're interruptions? They just might be divine appointments. And you and I are getting annoyed because God keeps bumping into our agenda when he has his own agenda. And maybe what I need to do is, you know, use the, the four letters that I had to teach Rachel one day. F-L-O-W. That spells flow. And sometimes God goes, I've got a day set up for you here. And you may have your plans, but I've got a whole different set of plans for you tomorrow. And if you'll start flowing with me and seeing how I'm working in this day, you will lose all that frustration inside of your soul. And see this as God orchestrating things. It changes your whole outlook on it. You just go, okay, God. It's amazing what God can start doing in those situations. All right. Each relationship as the Lord's opportunity. You know, I was, 
I got my hair cut Friday and I ran into this young lady and she goes, I know God brought you to my chair today. We had a great conversation. See, what? Each relationship as the Lord's opportunity. Each duty as the Lord's command. Oh, you mean I got to go clean the bathroom? How many would feel differently if you said, you know, Lord, I'm cleaning this bathroom for you. I'm getting the, my, my guest room ready for you. It's for Jesus I'm doing this. Well, yeah, but it's my in-laws, Pastor. It's not Jesus. <laughs> but I'm saying to you today, that if you saw them as Jesus, it would change how you went about getting ready for your in-laws. How many are catching on what I'm doing? Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. You have to just change. You know, sometimes we say, that person annoys me. Yeah, but if they were Jesus, would, would, would that person annoy you then? Well, of course not. That would be Jesus. I'm going, see Jesus in them. And then they'll stop annoying you. And each blessing is the Lord's gift. Thank you, Lord. This isn't even Christmas, right? It's not even my birthday. Man, you're amazing. It's a new way of looking at life that sees what is meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. Secondly, we must learn to receive God's word. Wisdom is only given to those who apply their hearts to the word of God. See, Psalm 119, verse 98 says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. How many here have enemies? Every hand should be up. You don't, you don't have any enemies? His name is Satan. He has all kinds of demons. They're all enemies. And they, they don't, sometimes they show up in strangers, and sometimes they even show up as relatives, <laughs> family members. I'm just telling you what is happening here, guys. You have enemies. You didn't know that, right? God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Don't you guys read your Bibles? You say, sometimes this behavior that's coming out of my kid, that's coming right from the pit of hell. That's an enemy. It's not the kid, it's the enemy, right? How many are catching on? Are you, are you getting it? Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. Sometimes you say, I'm not going to even answer that. It's too stupid. You know, soft answer. You know, yeah, just get, takes away wrath. Why even start an argument? It's not worth it. Then it says, I have more insight than all my teachers. Hey, we're getting ready for school. How many know sometimes these teachers are stupid? I hate to tell it to you. Hey, anytime they say something that's putting down God, that's a dumb thing. Now, I'm not going to disrespect my teacher, but I'm going, that's stupid. That person is exalting himself above the knowledge of God. He's a creature. He's got a limited time zone. And here's a, a God who's been in an existence forever. That's stupid. You're going, well, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. I put that down. I'm not going to buy it. You know what? I'm good. I'm a good student. You want to teach me that? Okay, I'll give you the answer on the test. I don't agree with one word you just said. So I don't even fight with them. Hey, kids, just how you be smart. Just give them the answer they want. You'll get good grades. That doesn't mean you have to buy it. You don't have to buy it. It may not be right. Okay. Yeah, Pastor, says pray for them. He says, for I meditate on your statutes. The Apostle Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Joshua 1.8 says, meditate on the word of God day and night. Why are you going to do that? So you can be prosperous and very successful. You need to know what God thinks. Okay, wisdom begins with a commitment. How many see that? What's the commitment? To God. The wisdom is the commitment to say, God, you're always right 
And whenever we disagree, I'm wrong. That's repentance, folks. That means I'm changing my mind. I'm coming in line with you. That means I may not understand it. I may not get it right now, but I'm lining up with you because you're the smartest person I know. I'm not even going to argue with God. He's really smart. He made everything. He knows how it all works. He's got the manual of life. Right here, here's the manual. But it's not just following the precepts and principles in here. It's getting to know the author of the book. You know why I say that? Because the Pharisees knew this book, but they didn't know the author. And look where it got them. Isn't that true? Got them in all kinds of trouble. Let's stand. How many are saying, Pastor, we're coming along on the journey of wisdom? Pastor... As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you. Do you know who your wisdom is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Paul's going to tell us, is our wisdom. How many like that? So if you hang with the right people, you'll get smarter. That's the truth. If you hang with people that are not very smart and they do stupid things, pretty soon you're going to be doing stupid things. Hello? Okay, just making sure you're awake. How many are saying, I'm going to start hanging with the smart people? I'm going to hang with the smartest person. His name is Jesus. I'm going to hang out with him every day. I'm going to have to listen to what he has to say every day. What am I telling you? Get in the word. That's his words. Am I listening to him? Are we having a conversation, Lord? Am I talking to you? Am I listening to you? Am I learning about your ways? And I'm watching the culture go further askew, and I'm going, oh, I'm just going to stay down this road, the narrow path. Remember the narrow path last week? How many are with me? Narrow path. Okay, let's stay on the path. That's a broad road. Where does it lead? Destruction. Narrow road. Life. Not just life. Abundant life. I like that word. Fullness of life, contentment in life, joy, hope, peace, blessing. I'm staying on this road. Oh, yeah, there's a few bumps once in a while. Oh, I'm learning things. My character is developing. Yeah, right? Okay, let's pray. How many here say, today I'm making a commitment to walk with God. Today I'm making a commitment to do what God says. Today I'm making a commitment to believe what he says. Today I'm making a commitment to accept that what he says is better than what I think. Today is a commitment. I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to learn the way of wisdom. I'm going to get wisdom. I'm going to journey now through these fall months to acquire wisdom. Are you with me in the journey? Let's get wisdom. Above all, he said, get wisdom. For out of it, we're going to see are the very issues of life. We're going to grow in wisdom. We're going to grow in our knowledge of God. God is going to use you in powerful ways. He's going to help you cope in this challenging thing called life. He's going to give you the skills How many like that? Skills. Instinctual skills. You and I are going to get into the Word. 
And all of a sudden, something's going to come along, and instinctually, you're going to do the right thing. You don't even know why you're doing it. But because you've been training yourself in wisdom, you've developed a skill, and you didn't even know it. A skill to know between right and wrong, and sometimes very complex and difficult situations. Lord, what should I do here? I just can't seem to figure out what to do here. I need your wisdom. God will give it. God will give it to us. So Lord, as we're bowing before you today, we need your wisdom. And you are wisdom. And so the foundation, the beginning point, the starting block from which we take this journey is you. We're going to dive deep into you, Father. We're going to discover you in a way maybe we haven't before. We're going to learn how to make day-to-day amazingly wise decisions and see the fruit of these decisions. They're going to produce good fruit instead of pain and difficulties and heartache and hardship. We're going to make wise choices. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.